Well, good evening, church. Good to be back with you tonight. Let me invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I was glad that uh, Jamie kind of started and said, hey, we're trying out a new song tonight because I'm trying a new presentation tonight. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Jamie, you can evaluate the song. I'll evaluate the message. Um, but, uh, you know, in this new role, and I'll just tell you a little bit about myself, I grew up in Illinois, about 15 miles west of Pinckneyville, in a little coal mining town called Cutler, Illinois. Went to Trico High School, graduated from there in 87, and uh, so kind of familiar with, you know, the basketball, football climate of Southern Illinois and can appreciate all of that and everything that goes on. Uh, went to college at Missouri Baptist University in St. Louis and then went to law school at Southern, SIU Carbondale, and uh, practiced law and served as a bivocational pastor for eight years, uh, and then went into full-time ministry, also taught part-time at Trico. Uh, for a few years during that bivocational period, uh, and then in full-time ministry, Nine Mile Baptist Church, I was sharing with that uh, with some people, and I, I knew about Ten Mile, because I knew Brother Mark Lee, and then he left, you know, he was pastor here and went to the, uh, the camp in Salatiska, we got to know each other well during those days, and I, I used to joke that Nine Mile was just one mile closer to heaven than Ten Mile, all right, that's all we were, uh, bad joke, I know, but... My kids accuse me of being the bad dad joke, so uh, just bear with me. And uh, pastor there went to Rochester, Illinois for eight years, and then came back to Mount Vernon as director of missions in 2017, and then God called me to this ministry uh, at the children's home uh, late last year, and started January 1, and hit the ground running, that's pretty much been the way it has, isn't it, Melinda? We haven't stopped running, so... But I do think uh, we're in a good place today. Uh, we, we've, we're hiring staff and we're getting back to, I think, uh, a place that we can call stability. And I think that's really important for where we are. But when I think about the children's home, when I think about the local association, when I think about local churches, the things that I think about in relation to all those different organizations is the mission. Good friend of mine, Jeff Orch, president of Gateway Seminary, and, uh, and I actually represent Illinois on that board. And Gateway is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'll be out there next week uh, for their board meeting. But he says this about the mission: He says the mission matters most. The mission matters most, and it's a simple phrase, but it's so powerful because it it's. It talks about the foundational principles for us as an organization and for us as leaders. Because the mission defines who we are and what we do. I mentioned that in one of the services this morning. Not sure which one it was now at this point. Uh, but as I think about the mission and all the strategies and activities that we do, whether it's through the ministry of BCHFS or whether it's through the local church or the association or whatever that may be, we have to make sure that our activities, our events, our programs <clears throat> align with the mission of the organization. The mission matters most. And for the children's home, we provide Christ-centered services. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment to protect, heal, and restore. But before we get into the ministry of the children's home, I just want to spend a few moments in the Word and think about Jesus and his mission, and then think about the mission that he left for us as his followers, because we're a part of that mission today. And for Jesus, his mission is clearly defined in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. And he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. It tells us who he is, and tells us what he's going to do. He's the Son of Man, a messianic title, referring to both to his humanity and the fact that he is the Son of God as well. And what's he going to do? He's going to seek and save the lost. That's what he's going to do. That's not hard, is it? Now, the fact that he was the Son of Man, that he was the Messiah that we just sang about, 
he's the son of God, that he was without sin, that helps him tremendously. Gives him a decided advantage over us in that. But he was still tempted. He was still challenged. He still experienced all the things that humanity had to offer. But he knew who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. He understood his mission. And right before he left and he went back to, to, went back to be with the Father in heaven, he gave the church a mission. He gave his disciples a mission. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Wow. And remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And again, we see, who's he speaking to? It's us, the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Christ. And what are the disciples of Christ supposed to do? Produce more disciples, right? And now Jesus goes a little bit further in that commission to us. We make disciples by introducing people to Jesus, evangelizing them. We baptize them, getting them to the point where they confess faith in Christ and they want to follow and publicly identify with Christ and with Jesus. And we teach them. We teach them. What do we teach them? To become more like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Well, in the passage tonight in Matthew 9, I, don't, I want to focus on the mission, but I want to focus on it from this aspect. What motivated Jesus to seek and to save the lost? Why was this his concern? Certainly we can say from a divine perspective, he was doing God's will. That was God's will to seek and to save the lost, and I totally agree with that. But what was, humanly speaking, what compelled him to go to the cross? What compelled him to experience that? Certainly a divine mission, but in his humanity, that's where the temptation was. And when we understand mission, as one commentator put it, he said a great mission typically begins with a great need that leads to a great cause. This is something I think we forget about in the church and in ministry in general because we become an organization. We become an institution. But Jesus, and we'll see that in this passage in Matthew 9, saw a great need and it led to a great cause. Let's read from Matthew chapter 9, picking up in verse 35. And Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. And then summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over clean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. Let's pray. Lord, tonight I pray that you would just speak to us, Father, that we will understand your ministry, your mission for us as your people to a greater degree. So Lord, use this time to teach us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we look at this passage, we, we find the motive for the mission. And it's really centered there in verse 36, and we'll spend some time talking about that verse. But here's the first thing I want us to see, looking again in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds. That's the very first thing that we need to see. Jesus saw the crowds. That's the observation. Right? Jesus saw the crowds. And we look at the end of that verse, and when he looked out at the crowds, what did he see? Three things. He saw they were distressed, they were dejected, and they were leaderless, like sheep without a shepherd. And you think about those things, distressed. What's it mean to be distressed? 
there's lots of definitions for it. Distress means there's great pain, there's anxiety, there's sorrow, there's acute physical or, or mental suffering, there's affliction, there's trouble in a person's life. To be dejected talks about being depressed in spirits and disheartened and low-spirited like sheep without a shepherd. And so the very first observation that we want to see is that Jesus saw those crowds and they were filled with all of these things. And, and to think about having to be leaderless goes back really to the prophet Ezekiel. In his prophecy, Ezekiel talked about the sheep, the Israel, experiencing oppression and exile because of the failure of Israel's shepherds, the priests. And so the prophecy was that God himself would seek out and rescue the lost sheep. That gets back to the mission of Jesus, right? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's where he was. The people that Jesus was looking at here, that he observed and, and was witnessing, needed direction and leadership. That's where they were. That's what they experienced. Distressed, dejected, leaderless. Here's the second observation, and it follows that what Jesus saw. It says he felt compassion for them. We just sang about, sang about that, the opening line there, mighty to say, everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs compassion. But what does it mean to feel compassion? What does it mean to have compassion? Some people say, well, it means I feel sorry for someone. I feel bad that they're going through that. Well, compassion is really more than that. Our English word compassion is really not sufficient in and of itself to capture the, the depth of the original language, the Greek here, that Jesus used. Because it really means to feel something, and I love this word, so I might say it several times because I like it so much. It's to feel something in the viscera. You know what the viscera is? I mean, it's the bowels. It's your intestine. It's gut-wrenching. We understand gut-wrenching, right? And so when Jesus observed these crowds who were dejected and distressed and leaderless, he had this gut-wrenching reaction to it. But it didn't end there. I mean, I, to have a gut-wrenching experience, if you can understand that, it's painful. Because there's something that happens inside of us that makes us think, what in the world is going on? And Jesus saw this great need. Now, why... The simple question for us is, why were they distressed and dejected and leaderless? Because of sin, right? I mean, that's the answer. Whenever we really want to explain what's going on in the world, we have to get back to sin. All right, we can't run away from that. Why were they leaderless? Because the religious leaders were all about themselves and not about God. And that's why he came to seek and to save the law. But he, as he was witnessing this and experiencing this physical reaction to people who were, yes, physically oppressed, but they were spiritually harassed. They were hopeless and helpless. And Jesus just didn't say, oh, I really feel bad for them. He did something about it. And when we truly have compassion, for someone, when we have this gut-wrenching moment in our lives, we are compelled to address the need that we see. And what did Jesus do in this passage? Look at verse 35 again. He did three things. He taught God's word, went into the synagogues teaching, he proclaimed the good news, the gospel. He shared the gospel. 
Of course, he's talking about himself, what he's going to do at the cross. And he cared for people. He healed people. A few verses earlier, we see part of that healing was casting out of demons. He dealt with their physical needs. The physical hurt and oppression. He dealt with the spiritual problems they were having. And ultimately, as we move from chapter 9 through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, we get to the point where he goes to the cross and bears the sin of mankind on his shoulders and experiences God's wrath so that we don't have to. Jesus saw the need. And it was a great need. And he did something about it. He did something about it. But you think about those things. Teaching God's word, the Bible. Sharing the good news, the gospel. Caring for people. Healing the sick. Think about that in terms of our our modern world today. That's a pattern. Teaching, preaching, caring. By the way, that would be a good mission for a church to adopt. Teaching God's word, sharing the gospel, caring for the sick and the underserved and the oppressed. It's not complicated, is it? It's the pattern Jesus established for us. And in fact, it's a pattern that we see throughout history. Think about teaching for a moment, because we understand teaching is education, right? It's learning. One of the points of the Great Commission was teach my people. To observe all things that I have commanded you. Teaching. In our country, you you think about, we just, a few weeks past the the conclusion of March Madness, right? And we look at all those colleges and all those universities. and And one of the, kind of the Cinderella stories in this year's tournament was Princeton. Kind of made it kind of upset a lot of brackets for those of you that do brackets. But you know how Princeton got started? Do you, re- you know what its original mission was? It was to train pastors. It was to train pastors to teach the Word of God. Harvard started as an institution to teach pastors to teach people the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? Many of the universities in the Western civilization in Europe and America were started as seminaries, as theological education for pastors. Now, we can look at them today and say they may have drifted greatly from the mission that God established for them. In fact, Harvard, a few years ago, uh, kind of bragged about that, okay? Willingly acknowledged that they were not what they were created to be. I think that's interesting. But teaching. Well, what about preaching? Notice it says Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. He was going around everywhere proclaiming the word of God. What was born out of the synagogues in the proclaiming of, of that? Well, what's the whole book of Acts about? Planting churches, right? Starting in Jerusalem, moving to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Establishing churches, local bodies of believers to do what? Proclaim the gospel, teach God's word. So, we're here tonight... Because of what Jesus demonstrated in the Gospels. And this pattern of teaching and preaching. What about caring? In our context today, we think of the place where most sick people go, right? They go to the hospital. Do you realize the hospitals, the early hospitals were started by the church? Came out of the church. Those early things. Now, again, that's changed, right? No longer that. But do you know what the symbol for the medicine is? 
What is it? Well, the Red Cross, but there's a different symbol. Your doctors will have it. Serpents. Serpents, snakes. And you say, well, where does that come from? Well, now the Greeks will tell you it came from them. But it actually came before the Greeks. You go back to Numbers chapter 21. There's a little story about snakes that God used to discipline the nation of Israel. They were coming out and biting. And they cried out to God in mercy and they said, what? Save us, God. Moses, intercede on our behalf. And Moses went before the Lord and he did that. And they cried out. And God gave instructions to Moses as they were crying out. You make this bronze serpent. And you lift it up in the middle of the camp. And when they cast their eyes upon it, they keep their eyes on it, they will be saved. They'll be rescued. In fact, Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 3 uses that very image for himself. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Carried. <laughs> the mission of God. Hospitals, the medical profession, is rooted and what God did in the Old Testament. The world doesn't acknowledge that. They don't want to claim that. But you can see how all these institutions that we are so familiar with in our world are rooted in a pattern that Jesus and God established in his word. So what's that look like? in terms of the ministry of the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services. So I'm going to take you through a, a little PowerPoint here, and, and we're going to talk about that. I want you to consider just a moment the founding of Baptist Children's Home and Family Services. The next slide will come up. And this is the first time I've used these slides, but you see a picture there of Hathaway Cottage on our campus. In 1917, the fall of 1917, just 10 years after the Illinois Baptist State Association had formed, there were a group of Illinois Baptists over there around Carmi area who saw a great need. The Spanish flu pandemic was going through. World War I was on the horizon. Men were being drafted into military service and leaving their, their homes. And children began to find themselves without parents because of the pandemic and the draft. Even grandparents were gone. And there were young boys and girls without parents, without leaders, without guardians. And so this group of Illinois Baptists determined that it was an orphanage or a home, as it's now known, needed to be established. And in the fall of 1918, or the first building, 1918, that building right there that you're looking at was built, Hathaway's Cottage. It was the girls' cottage. Now, that was constructed in 1918 at a cost of $17,000. I could only wish it took $17,000 to build a cottage, a new cottage today. All right? And then in February of 1919, the first girls, because it did open up as a girls' uh, home, arrived. That's our founding. But there was a need. Illinois Baptists were filled with compassion because of that need, and they established the Baptist Children's Home. It was called the Carmine Children's Orphanage when it started. Obviously, names have changed and, and the ministries changed over the years as we think about that. Today, we're known as Baptist Children's Home and Family Services because we do a lot of different things. In fact, as we see this next slide, we have five, our, our mission, I mentioned it earlier, providing Christ-centered services that protect, heal, and restore. And how do we carry out that mission? Well, it's with our five ministries, as you'll see here on the next slide. You may not be able to read all that. Maybe it's yeah, a little bigger there. 
So the Baptist Children's Home, that's our residential center. That goes back to the original ministry. That's the one that's established on the Carmi campus. Angel's Cove is our maternity center, and it's located in Mount Vernon. Faith Adoptions, Pathways Counseling. Faith Adoptions travels all over the state doing home studies uh, and, and all sorts of things for that. Now I'm going to break these ministries down. Pathways Counseling, located all over the state. And then our newest ministry there at the bottom is Grace Haven uh, as we go through that. So let me just give you a few updates uh, on those. But let me talk and answer a question I often get uh, when I'm out. is how do we receive our funding? What are our streams of resources? So I think that should be the next. All right, four major streams. The biggest one in that purple area this is churches. Churches, individuals, donors, Mother's Day offering. That accounts for 70% of our income. You're a big part of that. Acknowledge that this morning. 70%. And that's almost like three out of every $4 we receive comes from churches. Now I need you to understand, if you look at that little sentence there at the bottom, this is not cooperative program dollars. Baptist Children's Home Family Services receives no cooperative program dollars. And I'm here to tell you, I'm a big believer in the cooperative program. I've supported the cooperative program for years as a pastor because it funds, helps funds our International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board, our six seminaries, and the Ethics and Religious and Liberty Commission to help put missionaries on the field so they don't have to worry about raising support annually and come off the field. We're a part of that. But what I want you to understand is how important your missionaries are right here in Illinois. Because our staff at the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services are your missionaries. They are people who are called to serve individuals who are distressed, dejected, and leaderless in their lives. Who are listening to the wrong voices many times. As we talked about this morning. You can see there are other sources of income. We do about 12% of our fees for services. And then a little over 11% from investment income. Or investment distribution. Now let me talk to you about that. We do have an endowment. But that endowment is really as much a part of that 70% because it comes from individuals who have named the children's home in their wills as part of their estate. They've left houses to us. They've left farmland to us. They've left percentages of their estate to us. That money that we receive from those investments that we have placed with the Southern Baptist Foundation and the Baptist Foundation of Illinois help fund the operations of the children's home. We couldn't survive without that. So <clears throat> that 11% is key to our, our budget. And then the remainder of that, about a little over 6%, comes from other resources. We have some farmland uh, that we rent, and we get some cash rent off of that. Uh, we have a couple of oil wells that kind of trickle out some production and trickle is the right word, all right? It's not producing the way we would like for it to produce. Um, we also have some timber uh, land that uh, provides some income and then just some ancillary other sorts of things. Um, but those are the four primary areas. But the biggest bulk of our, do our dollars come from you, the churches and the individual donors. So we say thank you for that. Uh, I think this is important for you to know, and we want to be transparent with that so you do know. But here are our services and give you some updates on what's going on very quickly. Residential care, the Carmi campus, Baptist Children's Home. You know, we've got several things happening there. Right now we have two cottages that are open. Uh, both of them are, are girls' cottages because right now that's the house parent staffing that we have. We cannot serve boys uh, with the house parents that we have. These are all single ladies who are serving as house parents. Uh, 
if we can hire, and this is a prayer need, if we can hire staff, uh, husband and wife teams to come in, or single men who could serve in the boys' cottages, then we could transition some of those girls back into one cottage and then have a cottage open for boys. We have four potential cottages that could be open, but right now we can only afford two with the resources that we have. And so that becomes a need for us to pray about uh, as we go on. We have moved past some of the events of last year. Uh, we're excited. We have new leadership there on campus. We have new house parents there. Uh, we have a good group of clients that are there. Where their ranges are 11 to 18 in age. Uh, and so we have the younger ones in one cottage and then the older ones uh, in the other cottage. And so then we'll move on to Angel's Cove. Right now we have four birth mothers. Uh, and lots of times when these, these birth mothers come in, they, they come in prior uh, while they're still expecting and stay through the through the delivery and then stay afterwards for a few months before they transition out. Uh, and we're excited to be able to help them. We like for them to come early because that gives us an opportunity to talk with them about their support system. You know, they come in, they need help. When we talk about distressed and dejected, you know, their, their support systems are not very strong. Sometimes dad's not, no longer in the picture. You know, sometimes the immediate family is not there, and they're all on their own. What I'm excited about is the fact that we've, in just this year, since I've been here in January, uh, two of those mothers have professed faith in Christ and have become active part of Lebanon Missionary Baptist Church in Mount Vernon. And so we're excited when we hear those stories. And let me assure you that both at the residential campus in Carmi and at Angels Cove, where we have direct uh, impact on day-to-day -day because it's a living arrangement, it's a family environment, that there are Bible studies that go on on a weekly basis, there are daily devotionals that happen in the context, there's regular church attendance. That is part of being providing Christ-centered services. And know that we do that. But understand this, the people who are coming to us need Christ. They are not there necessarily because they know Christ. Some of them say that, but their lifestyles indicate otherwise. And let's not be naive and think when these distressed and dejected and leaderless, spiritually leaderless people come in, that they're going to behave like Christians. That they're going to speak like people of God should speak. That they're going to have habits. Some of them are coming out of alcohol or drug rehab. They're hurting people. And I think sometimes we, we kind of get this picture, you know, we've got these nice, sweet, and they are, some of them are very nice, some of them are very sweet, but some of them are really rough. And that's hard for our staff because they have to live with that 24-7. So pray for our staff in that context because that's a heavy load. But we are greatly understaffed at Angel's Cove. That's the other place that, that we need help, in the house parent area. We just recently hired a young lady to start there, and she began April 1st. Uh, we still need another house parent there. And really, I would say it would be great to have two in the pipeline because uh, one of our, our house parents' couples there has been with us a long time and been loyal and faithful, but they're ready to retire. We need to replace them. Uh, and it's good that if we can get people in the, in the pipeline to help begin to do that. So if you are interested in that, just let me know. Give me a call. Give me an email. I'd be glad to talk with you about that opportunity uh, and what we need in that area. Let's move uh, to the next faith adoptions. Let me ask you to pray for faith adoptions right now because we are staffless. Uh, and that, it's a good thing in one respect. Uh, Jessa Carter, you might know Jessa. She's a member here. And uh, she just had a baby. So she's out on maternity leave uh, for a few weeks. But our faith adoptions manager, uh, Valerie Vitito, had emergency life-threatening surgery a couple of weeks ago. 
And uh, she is currently off work recovering from that surgery. It's a major surgery. Uh, and, uh, but as I said, life-threatening. And it just it happened within a 24-hour period. Just totally unprepared for that. And so we're kind of in a hiatus situation. We expect both of those ladies to be back at it. Uh, just not sure when that's going to be, what that looks like. Uh, so pray for that. But we do these home studies around the state of Illinois for adoptive couples. We travel from Cairo to Chicago, from Danville to Quincy, east to west, north to south. Wherever there is a Christian couple that is consulted with us, we go. And we, we do the, the investigation and the assessment for their homes and the environment to, to adopt. Adoption, this is a place where we need favor with our governmental authorities. Lots of, because we work with birth mothers. So hospitals like Good Sam and and Carbondale Memorial, where deliveries are about the only place in southern Illinois you can go these days. Uh, we need to have relationships with those folks. So that when a birth mom says, you know, I'm considering adoption, that they call us first before they call DCFS. Because once they get into the DCFS pipeline, you know, it's a different, different ball game altogether. And our staff has good relationships there. It's just one of those things where we pray for favor in those situations. Last year, we served 78 individuals. Uh, that would include both adoptive couples and birth moms uh, in that nature. This is also a ministry that we say adoption is the alternative to abortion. If you do not feel like you can parent your child, please Consider us. Put your child in adoptive homes. They're going to be cared for by Christian parents. It's an absolute necessity, absolute need that we thought we should have. Pathways Counseling, our next ministry. Interesting statistic here, and I see Jared has slipped in back there, and he may be able to verify this as well, but in 2019, uh, those studies that showed about 11% of our population suffered from anxiety and depression. Since the pandemic, those numbers have increased to 41%. It's at an all-time high. Am I wrong about that, Jared? Yeah, and that came from our counselors, but it's amazing how much anxiety and depression we're seeing in our society. The need for Christian counselors is imperative. And Pathways would expand. We have 14 locations throughout the state, and we, most of those are independent contractors, so they, they don't really work for us full-time at all. We get maybe a few hours a week for them. Um, but we would have more if we could find Christian counselors willing to, to offer a, a few hours a week to uh, work in our churches and, and those sorts of things. We're always on the lookout for that. Uh, last year our numbers kind of exploded in, in, in 2022. Served almost 600 direct clients, 300 ancillary clients. Those ancillary clients are family members, guardians, uh, children, whatever that may be that sat in on some of those sessions. Nine, that's 900 people we served. Almost 5,200 counseling hours. We haven't seen numbers like that in the children's home since 2015-16. And I think those numbers are only going to increase in the days to come because we see this anxiety and depression rate increasing. People are wanting help. They are hurting. Again, people are coming into counseling. These are people that are part of that distressed and dejected uh, and oftentimes leaderless uh, categories that we see here in the, in, in the passage. And then finally, our last uh, ministry, our fifth and final ministry is Grace Haven. Grace Haven is our newest ministry. It's located in Mount Vernon as well. And, and so you, you can see that we have these five ministries. We have a Mount Vernon campus, and we have a Carmine campus. And the big question that I always get since I've taken this job 
is when am I moving to Carmi? Well, I live in Mount Vernon. I already lived in Mount Vernon, and I spend time in both, on both campuses every week. A couple of days in Mount Vernon, three days in Carmi. So my family was well-established in Mount Vernon. My wife works at Good Samaritan Hospital. Didn't see the need for her to drive from Carmi to Mount Vernon every day, so I make the drive. Uh, and so we're still in Mount Vernon, and we'll continue to do that as long as that's feasible and, and manageable for us to do so. Uh, but those two campuses are all under the umbrella of Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, these five ministries. But Grace Haven, and you can see some of the things that are going on there. We average two ultrasounds per week. Now, those two ultrasounds, I'm talking about these are new individuals coming in for ultrasounds. We get a lot of repeat ultrasounds. That, that's not included in that number. And many times, these new ultrasounds are abortion-determined women. In their mind, they, they, they don't see any alternative but to terminate the pregnancy. And I can't give you the exact numbers, the ratio on those who change their mind in, in, in the course of this, but many times when they come in and they add the first ultrasound and they see this baby that is in their body growing, they change their mind. Not always the case. And it's heartbreaking when they follow through. They come for several weeks sometimes and yet follow through with an abortion. But we provide abortion recovery services and counseling for those people that they'll come back to us. We offer parenting classes and, and prenatal classes, labor and delivery classes, boundaries with kids classes. Uh, all these things, and, and that's a big draw. We get some of the Angel Cove mothers coming up. We get people from the community coming in. This is one of the best outreaches for Grace Haven. And word is out about these classes, and they continue to meet three to four times a week, and we see more people, new people coming in all the time. And it's not just women, by the way. Sometimes it, it's the significant husband or partner, because not everybody that comes in is married. We'll understand that. Another opportunity for us, though, in that context, to share what it means to, to be Christ-centered and have a relationship with Christ. Every time someone comes in for an ultrasound, we make sure that uh, our counselor, Regina Thompson, spends time with them, talks with them about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And sometimes we have Christians who come in that are abortion-determined. Surprisingly enough, when we think about that, and you can see some of the other things that are going on. That's our ministry. That's who we are. I haven't really made any significant changes in three and a half months, and I think my staff is grateful for that, to be honest with you. But that time is coming, so we'll get there. But right now, we're, we're just... One of the significant things is in the last year, we have 33 total staff. 23 of them are new, either new hires or new to their role within the agency within the last year. That's a lot of new. <laughs> a whole lot of new. And so we just need to, like, be stable for a while. We've got to get to know one another. They've got to get to know me. I've got to get to know them. And we've got to know our jobs. We've got to know how we're functioning and growing in those roles before we start thinking about big wholesale changes and what that looks like. So the key word, and I'm going to tell my trustees this, this week, so a little preview of where I'm going at the board meeting, is the word stability. We need stability. I believe we have it because, first of all, this is a God-ordained ministry, all right? I, I need you to hear this. God established this ministry because he stirred the hearts of people. He gave them gut-wrenching moments and said, we need to address this need. Now, we're not dealing with the Spanish flu of 1917. We're dealing with a whole new set of problems in 2023, and so the ministry must look different. But you're a part of that. How else, then, can you partner with us? Well, let me just say... 
you can pray for us. You can pray for us. I, you know, I, I read these verses, and they didn't, I knew I was going to have time to get into them. But listen, Jesus said, pray to the Lord to send out workers. This has taken a whole new meaning for me. Because I understand that passage about sending workers out into the fields that are ripe unto harvest, souls that need to be one for Christ. I get that. But our clients are some of those souls. But we need workers in our mission field of the Ministry of Baptist Children's Home Family Services. So I covet your prayers that we get the staff that we need to provide those services. Uh, you, you can pray for us to have favor with the state. And I talked about that this morning. And ask the Lord to give new life, salvation to our clients and our residents. Pray for our staff. They need that encouragement and support as well. And then you can serve. You can become a volunteer. Maybe some of you have already done that. Come to our fall festival. I know you surely, because you've been familiar with the ministry of the Children's Home for years, have been involved in that. But maybe this is the first year. It'll be my first year uh, to go. And then give. Again, I celebrate your giving, uh, your financial uh, resources, but I ask you to think about the fact that our Mother's Day offering is, is right here. If you go to the next slide, uh, you can give to that. And you can see that QR code there. If you have your smartphone, you can take that out, scan that in, and that will take you to our website, and you can see our Mother's Day offering that takes, talks more about that. Uh, but it's a season of remembrance. And you think about that, uh, this would be the second Mother's Day without my mom. Uh, but it still gets me. <laughs> and I've talked to others that, you know, it's 15, 20 years, it still gets them at Mother's Day. But I think for Mother's Day, there, there are other things that are being remembered. Maybe some are remembering not being a parent, not being a mother. Or maybe it's children they've lost for whatever circumstances. I don't want to be maudlin about that, but a day that's intended to be a celebration should be a celebration because God has provided for us. But even on that day, there are some who hurt. And these mothers-to-be that come, these young teenagers, these young kids that come into our ministry, they are hurting. The clients that come into Pathways Counseling, they are hurting. And through the Mother's Day offering, you help them be ministered to by your missionaries. Your missionaries. So thank you in advance for how you're going to do that. Uh, I dare say I'd take questions, but you may not want to be here that much longer. But if anybody has any questions, I'll, I'll try to answer that. Yes, sir. No, it's the same pregnancy. They'll just come along to get, because it's a free ultrasound that we offer, it's a very limited view, but they'll see how the baby's growing in their womb. So it might be at two weeks, it might be at four weeks, six weeks, something like that through the course of the pregnancy. No, they can come in without a physician's referral. We do, we do have medical uh, coverage there with a physician and, and a nurse that works for us part-time. But uh, anybody, any mother can come in, just walk in. Word of, mouth, word of mouth, yes, from churches, from uh, other people who have received services from us. So, and, and frankly, word of mouth is probably the best way to make that known. Uh, Anyone else? Well, the girls at, uh, so t which, which girls are you asking about? Carmine, they're going to Dittany Ridge right now. Uh, and as you know, they've been here uh, at times. They've been at First Baptist Carmine at times. They're at Dittany Ridge uh, for a few years here. Uh, the girls in Mount Vernon, the mothers there, they go uh, to Lebanon.
Now, some of that, I think, are, are connections that may be to those churches. Anyone else? Well, let me say thank you again. Just for the opportunity to be here, I appreciate Brother Jake allowing me to, uh, to speak from the pulpit tonight and, and this morning. And, and just, uh, I, I look forward to getting to know some of you even better throughout the years. And, uh, but uh, it's, it's just great to, to be a part of the ministry of the children's home. And I hope you appreciate the ministry, and I believe that you do by your continued support. And, and just pray for us as we try to advance God's kingdom through the ministry of the children's home. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, and we'll close. Real quick, we do have the for the Mother's Day offering. Okay. You know, kind of like Lottie and Annie, we'll take your Mother's Day offering any time of the year. All right? But we know this is a, a special time, and it, it's on your focus, so we just encourage that now. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks for our time here this evening. Thank you for Jesus most of all. Lord, you, you're a wonderful God and you've done a wonderful work through the ministry of the children's home throughout the years. And Lord, I'm humbled that you've entrusted me to carry on that legacy. Because Lord, it's a bigger task than any one person can manage. We need your help. We need your power. We need your resources to carry on. And I'm thankful for your people like the folks here at Ten Mile that help support the ministry through their partnership and giving of resources and time and, and just praying for us. We're thankful. We praise you. We love you. And help us be more like Jesus each day. And it's in his name we pray, we pray and God's people said, amen. amen.